This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be with you here today. Coming up later in today's episode, I will be reading an excerpt from a story that I published a couple of years ago as part of my Curl Up with a Cat Tail uh, written short story subscription series, which some of you may remember. And the story is called Daylight Cravings. And of course, as, as we all know, the clocks, at least here in the United States, we, we've gone through our annual agonizing ritual of resetting the clocks by an hour. Um, in fall, they go one hour back. And there are some benefits. There are some pros to this. I mean, the, the day, the sun does set much earlier. Like all of a sudden it's 4.30 and it's starting to get dark outside, uh, which definitely makes you feel like like the onset of winter is coming and it can be kind of a bummer. Uh, but for us early risers, it, it's actually not so bad because for the last month or so, you know, I get up at five in the morning and the sun had not been coming up until seven. And so just a a couple of hours in complete darkness starting my day. Now I still get up at five, but the sun comes up at six instead of seven. And so that is not such a bad thing. But of course, this is just me babbling on endlessly and trying to disguise the fact that the real sufferers here are my cats who now believe that One o'clock is two o'clock and that 5 a.m. is 6 a.m. and so on and so forth. And every year I, I, they, they just, it's not just that they freak out and they do. They are freaking out. They have freaked out, uh, as I will discuss in a little bit more detail in the short story that I'm going to read to you later. But I, I wonder what they, think, you know, because they sit there hopping around me with increasing agitation, especially Clayton, who does literally hop. And he hops in a circle around me and he has this very squeaky, high-pitched meow. Um, And and as I wrote in my book, My Life in a Cat House, Clayton's meow is all me. It has no ow at the end. His meow is, is, you know, like a me. And I'm sorry. (laughs) I apologize for that, that high-pitched whatever that was. And and I don't quite sound like Clayton. But anyway, so he hops around me and and just squeaking with increasing anger and impatience at me. And I wonder if and, and this goes on for a couple of weeks, like I am still only one day or two days into what is just going to be like the longest two weeks of the year. And that is the, the two week period during which I try to adjust my cat's to their new feeding schedule. And I, I I think every year they somehow conclude that despite all available evidence to the contrary, I have just somehow woken up one morning and arbitrarily decided to make their lives miserable. That despite the fact that I clearly love them and spoil them rotten, 
that that I just for no particularly good reason and every so often pick a two week period during the year when I'm trying to make them suffer. I think this is really what they think. And um, the thing is, we we do have to go through this because, you know, right now that the cat's feeding times are are 6 a.m., 1 p.m. and 9 p.m. And that used to be 7, 2, and 10, but one year when the, the clocks changed, I, I just did not, I was in, in, and again, this is covered in the story that I'm going to read from later, but I was engrossed in various projects. I did not have the wherewithal to to complete the work that I had to complete and also just go through this agonizing annual ritual with the cats. So I just adjusted the feeding times to make them one hour earlier, but I cannot do that every year or I will literally be feeding them breakfast before I go to sleep at night. And it, it, it's obviously, you know, I, I, I think that, that 6 a.m. is a perfectly reasonable feeding time, as by the way, 7 a.m. would also be a reasonable breakfast time. Anyway, I realize that I am preaching to the choir on this one, and I'm sure that many of you go through this same delightful ritual with your own cats. Those of you listening here in the United States uh, who know my pain and understand what I'm suffering and I have written previously, and I really do feel this adamantly. I, I swear to God, I don't care which it is. We could we could spring forward or we could fall back, but I would just love for us to to pick one time and keep to it the whole year. No more springing forward. No more falling back. We could make our evenings longer. We could make our mornings longer. I honestly do not care which it is. I am all in favor of some sort of a national referendum where we all get together and we vote and we decide, is there going to be one more spring forward or one more fall back? Are we is are we going to set the clocks forward one hour and keep it? Or are we going to set the clocks back one hour and keep it? But just do it and leave it. And, you know, th- this is a, a thing when 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 daylight, the history of daylight savings time, for those of you who wonder, by the way, why the United States goes through this bass backwards, ridiculous, barbaric ritual every year. It dates back to farming times uh, when the country was founded back in the 18th century. Um, most people who lived in this country lived and worked on farms. It was primarily an agrarian economy. And Benjamin Franklin, one of our great founding geniuses and, and the smartest of the founding fathers, allegedly, in his infinite wisdom, felt that if we extended daylight hours in the summer, when the days are already longer by one additional hour, that would give farmers additional time to work in the fields and lead to more plentiful and profitable harvests come fall when the clocks could then be set back. And I'm not really in a position to to comment uh, you know, firsthand on whether or not that makes sense from a farming perspective. And certainly there are still farmers in this country. I, I realize that, but we are no longer a majority farming economy. We are no longer a majority farming population. The vast majority of us here in the States no longer live on farms. Um, again, though, I am willing for the sake if, if the farmers feel that this additional hour that they gain in the summer is invaluable to them, I certainly do not begrudge it. And I like my long summer days as much as anyone. We could spring forward and leave it there. I, I genuinely don't care which it is. Um, just one or the other, for the love of God, because my cats lose their minds. 
this time every year. And I'm realizing now that I spent a long time complaining about this. So, so perhaps it is time to move on. But, you know, it's, it's rough days here in the Cooper household for the cats. Um, and it's not just the, the change in the feeding schedule. I should also say that Lawrence and I, um, for no particularly good reason. The other day we went to, this is going to sound silly, but bear with me. So this new mall opened near us, the American Dream Mall. And there is a very long and storied history about this mall, the development of which I believe goes all the way back to the 80s. Um, but it's supposed to be this enormous mall with in addition to many thousands or, you know, hundreds and hundreds of stores, also a ski run and a water theme park and a Nickelodeon roller coaster amusement park. And it's, it's, and and they have built most of it. It, It's hard to fathom just the sheer enormity once you include the parking spaces of how big this mall is, I, I think the idea was for it to rival the the storied uh, Mall of America in Minnesota. I believe it's in Minnesota, which is, as we know, the largest mall in the world. And I think this was supposed to be an equivalent to that. And in addition to all of all of the, this hoopla, there's also a luxury wing that's supposed to be enormous and have all kinds of incredible luxury stores. Saks Fifth Avenue is the anchor for it, and they closed down as of 2016, all of their locations in New Jersey planning to make this their hub. I'm not sure how wise that was, but anyway, that was in 2016. So various things happened. Um, their, their first, I mean, this is again, going back to the nineties, there was some sort of ecological impact report that kept them from breaking ground or building for a while. And then in 2008, when the economy uh, crashed, construction stopped for a while. And then they were all set to open in February or March of 2020. And of course, we all know what happened then. Anyway, they are at last open. Um, A lot of empty space in this mall, a lot of, of stores, you know, that were supposed to come in, haven't come in, a lot of space that has not been rented out yet. Uh, but Lawrence and I, we decided to just for kicks and we've been driving past this thing for years. Every time we get on the highway, we, we go by it. And so we decided to go and we went last week and I wanted to check out the, the luxury wing. And the luxury wing, by the way, is, is only like maybe five or six stores. It's the Saks Fifth Avenue. There's an Hermes store. Um, a Johnny Waz store, and then I think an Yves Saint Laurent and a Dolce & Gabbana, and I think that's it. So, you know, but we just kind of wanted to see the spectacle of it all. So we we checked out the the giant roller coasters in, in the, the kids' amusement park wing. There was a fire in the ski run, somewhat ironically, and so that is shut down, so we could not see what that looked like. But we did a little shopping, and um, I did buy in... I went into the Hermes store and I bought a $45 nail polish, uh, which is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous amount of money to spend on nail polish, but it, it is a unique color um, that is specific to Hermes. Not that anyone's seeing me and it is going to know that, but at least I could tell myself that it's a color I couldn't get somewhere else. And, and it's probably about the only thing that I would realistically buy at the Hermes store. So I got to to have my little, you know, Hermes, walk around with my little Hermes bag. And I also bought an eyeliner at the Chanel counter at Saks Fifth Avenue. And so I had my little Chanel bag and my little Hermes bag, and I felt very, very fancy. 
And I got to rock around the luxury wing feeling very fancy with my my little bags. Um, and so at the Chanel counter and at the Hermes store, when I bought, you know, my nail polish and my eyeliner, they also gave me perfume samples. At Chanel, they gave me Chanel number no. five. And Hermes, they gave me, you know, whatever perfume Hermes is making. I have no idea. And I... I'm not much of a perfume person. I never have been. I do have, I, I get, I've been getting for the last 20 years from the same little store on South Beach. It, it's an essential oil store where they, and they can do like these smell alike fragrances, um, which I've really never done. I, I don't know. It's just never, I, you know, I like to smell nice, but I've never been such a perfume person. And I think it's because I spend so much time with animals. And, you know, animals like you to smell like yourself, uh, particularly Homer. Homer was not amused when I did things that that masked whatever I smelled like naturally to him or whatever combination. I mean, obviously, you know, I wash my hair and my shampoo has a smell and my soaps have a smell. But whatever combination of those things led me to smell like me, Homer was not was not uh, did not enjoy it, did not appreciate it when I covered up my smell. Um, but I do now have, you know, this little. So anyway, so I've been getting the same. It's a essential oil of Tunisian jasmine. And I sprinkle a couple of drops into my hair every morning. Um, and it's it's, you know, this little store in South Beach where I still get this oil. They It's one of those places where they can do the the smell alike, right? They can make you a blend of essential oils that smells like Chanel number no. five or, or I mean, I don't know. What are the perfumes these days? Do, do they still do White Diamonds by Elizabeth Taylor? I seem to remember that once upon a time being a big thing. Um, anyway, as you can probably tell by all of this, it, it's been a long time since I've really been like a girly girl. Um, I've become somewhat girlier. And I think we've discussed this previously since things have opened up post-vaccination, you know, after after quarantine and then after vaccination, I, I started thinking, you know, it would be people haven't seen me in a long time. It'd be fun to to buy some new lip glosses or or a little bit of new makeup. And so I've been become a little bit girlier. And, and Lawrence is delighted by this because, you know, 20 something years ago when I was in my 20s and single when we first met, I was much girlier than I am now. And, uh, you know, now I'm 50 and I I write and I work from I write about my cats and I work from home. And, uh, you know, it's it's all about sweats and the ponytail and and being comfortable. And every so often we go out and I dress up, but it's uh, much more casual around the house. But the point being, so I have these perfume samples and I mean, I have nothing to do with them. Like, like even when I dress up to go out, I'm not going to hose myself down with Chanel number no. five. Like that's just not, you know. I'm not one of those people who smells like Chanel number no. five. I, by the way, would not. I mean, now I guess I would, but I would not previous to to now have been able to identify specifically Chanel number no. five on somebody else. But anyway, I've so I've just been, you know, I've, I've got these perfume samples and I don't like things to just accumulate. I, I made a resolution also post quarantine to stop letting just, you know, pardon my language, but crap accumulate around the house. I'm sure many of you, right, you, you open a drawer one day and it's just stuff full of useless little things that people put into shopping bags with things you're actually going to use and you didn't want to throw them away because that seemed silly, but you also never use them. And so the point being, I've decided I'm going to use my Chanel Number no. 5 and Hermes perfume uh, samples 
until they are done. And then I'm going to throw them away so they don't accumulate. And so I haven't wasted them. So I now, as I sit here right now recording this podcast, I smell like Chanel number five. You, you sadly cannot appreciate it. You will just have to take my word for it. And Clayton, who spends his entire life with his nose buried in, you know, wherever, whichever part of me he can reach into my stomach, into my chest, under my arm, um, Clayton is, is, spends a, is a very physically affectionate and clingy cat. And he is, uh, in addition to his feeding schedule now being off by an hour, um, he's also dealing with a mom who, who does not smell like herself. And, and Clayton, for whatever it's worth, um, Clayton does not appreciate the smell of Chanel number five. It, it does not strike him as being better or more pleasant than mom's natural smell. Um, Fanny also is somewhat put off. And I think Fanny, you know, Fanny makes that face, you know, like cats make when they get all squinty faced and, and their nose and like, like they start running toward you and then they suddenly smell something bad. And it's like they put on the brakes and they kind of recoil and their fa- little faces scrunch up and their eyes have closed. Um, that's what Fanny has been doing to me for the past few days, ever since I started wearing Chanel number no. five. So not a ringing endorsement. It actually makes me very glad that I've never spent a lot of money on a fancy perfume. You know, I, I buy this bottle of essential oil and I get the big bottle. So it does cost $100, but it lasts me for like three years. Um, so that averages out to a, a rather neat $33.33 per year that I spend on fragrance. And, um, and, and I guess the moral of this story is that there's really no need for me to spend any more money, uh, because there, there's really no one to appreciate a different smell. I guess the only one would be Lawrence and Lawrence also, I mean, he certainly noticed that I am wearing a perfume now, but does not really seem to care one way or the other. Although he is generally encouraged by, as I said, signs of, of, you know, girliness, like, like the buying of the new eyeliner and the new nail polish and, and things like that, that, that perhaps make him think there will be some return to the, you know, scanty clothing and, and various other accoutrement from, uh, from my twenties. I am just kidding. Of course, by the way, Lawrence and I are, are almost ridiculously codependent. The four, I always say, you know, the four of us, Lawrence and me and our two cats, um, we, we really do have a good time together, which which came in very handy during quarantine. And I have been saved right there from taking an even deeper dive into the state of my marriage uh, by some construction that suddenly started taking place directly in front of my house as I was recording this. I don't know if a little bit of the jackhammering actually made it into the last uh, minute or so that I was recording, but suddenly there was very loud jackhammering directly in front of my house. There's some sort of massive PSENG uh, construction project that appears to be located literally directly in front of my house. So I apologize for any any uh, untoward or, or unaccountable noises that that has caused or that that may cause. I'm going to try not to pause again unless there is some serious, serious jackhammering or, or swearing or something else going on outside that really does just make it impossible for me to record in here. But having said that, I am right now going to take a brief 30-second break. And when I come back, I am going to be reading an excerpt from the story um, 
Daylight Cravings from my book, Spray Anything. So sit back, get comfortable, hang out, and stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail. Thanks so much for sticking around. I want to add, by the way, that if this podcast seems a a little bit disjointed to you or a little bit more disjointed than usual, uh, that is because it is. While for you, the break between the last segment and, and this one in which I'm going to read a story has been about 30 seconds. For me, it has actually been two days. And that is because there's just been relentless construction or, or, or not construction, but, but some sort of repair work, I think to the gas lines or, or something, um, directly in front of my house, which is, is just tremendously convenient for a writer. I would like to add just the sound of jackhammering right outside the window. Uh, the, the joys of, of urban living. So there's just really not a good time for me to, to come back and record the second part of this podcast. Um, so I'm actually recording this now, and, and that's why this podcast also is going to be a day late, usually released on Tuesdays. This one is going to be Wednesday. I'm actually recording this right now at 5 a.m. Tuesday morning. And of course, my, my, the, the people in my Patreon community, uh, are, do get access to the podcasts early. And so they will be getting it later on today. Um, the rest of you guys will be getting it tomorrow, though I guess it will be today when you listen to it. It will be today for you, even if it's not today for me. Anyway, um, but the irony of this whole thing is that I'm recording this at 5 a.m. so that if there is any more construction, and I suspect there might be because the the big, um, what is it called? But one of those big construction tractor things is, is still parked directly in front of my house. So I'm trying to do this early enough to avoid any potential interruption from from construction outside but of course, I, I could not sit down at 5 a.m. to start recording this without having Clayton just hopping around me, constantly squeaking his outrage, unless I fed him first. So so the grand irony, I guess, of this whole thing, as we move into the next part of the podcast, is that I ended up feeding Clayton at what he thinks is 6 a.m., what is now 5 a.m., but as far as he is concerned, right on time. I've been trying to to really stick with that for the past few days. And um, now I'm going to have to start all over again tomorrow morning. Won't that be fun? Anyway, so I'm going to be reading a a passage now from a short story called Daylight Cravings. And this is in a collection called Spray Anything, which is available for purchase on Amazon. And this is basically, it's... um, you know, there's not too much you need to know, although I am picking it up in the middle of the story. Really, this is just more of an essay, I would say, than a short story. It's it's kind of a long essay. Um, just about the, the annual shenanigans that my cats get up to at that time of the year when the clocks change. And um, yeah, always a good time. This is what my early morning voice sounds like, by the way. For those of you who are wondering what I sound like when I first get up in the morning, this is what it sounds like. 
And without any further ado, I bring you a passage from Daylight Cravings from the collection Spray Anything. It's here that I must present a self-defense of sorts, one that I've repeated ad infinitum to my cats over the years, but the rationality of which they've proven stubbornly immune to. It doesn't help that, in this case, my furry little judge and jury are also my chief prosecutors and the star witnesses for the prosecution as well. Somehow it always seems that I've been tried, convicted of animal cruelty in the first degree, and sentenced to some indefinite period of feline servitude before I've gotten the chance to mount even a rudimentary defense on my own behalf. But surely you, gentle reader, you who have traveled down so many of the same roads with your own cats as I have with mine, will judge me more kindly. Undoubtedly, you'll see that I'm not a monster, not the world's worst cat mom, that I do the very best I can for my cats in every bit as much as any one of you would do for your own, so help me God. Let the defense show, in the first place, that I feed my cats three meals a day, serving them punctually at 5 a.m., 1 p.m., and 9 p.m. It should also be noted that, once upon a time in the distant past, Fanny and Clayton were fed at 6 a.m., 2 p.m., and 10 p.m. But then, in November of 2015, I was working furiously on a self-published sequel to Homer's Odyssey that I intended to release in time for ho the holiday gift-giving season. I didn't have the mental bandwidth to both meet my writing deadline and also tolerate my cat's early morning chest stompings and mid-afternoon howls of anguish, not to mention the two of them hopping angrily around my desk chair and caterwauling in unison at what they thought was their two o'clock lunchtime or 10 o'clock dinner time, but was actually, now that the clocks had gone back, one o'clock and nine o'clock, respectively. So their feeding times went back an hour that November, and an hour back they have remained to this day. The defense would further like to, the record to reflect that the majority of cats do not receive three meals a day. Most cats live with humans who have sensible real jobs in offices or schools or stores, and who therefore don't fritter away their days scribbling about their cats and posting on social media from home the way I do. How many among us have the luxury of being home often enough to personally serve their cats three delicious, nutritionally balanced meals each and every day? The prosecution is piping in here, by the way, to claim that delicious is a debatable point, as my cats reserve the right at any given time to find repulsive, even a flavor of food they loved with wild enthusiasm only days earlier. But nutritionally balanced is a more objective standard, and the defense will stand by it the scrumptiousness or otherwise of their food notwithstanding, Clayton and Fanny pretty much live the pampered lives of cruise ship passengers. They spend their days napping and being shuffled from one extravagant meal to the next. To pass the time, they engage in various recreational activities, rolling around in catnip, frolicking with de bird, watching cat TV, i.e. the birds congregating at the feeders I've attached to the outside of our windows for my cat's entertainment, arranged for them by their attentive cruise director, that would be me, before heading off to eat or nap, or eat and then nap, once again. Most of us would pay good money, is what I'm saying, to enjoy for a mere 10 days the lifestyle my Clayton and Fanny get to enjoy every blessed day of their charmed lives. I beseech you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, are these lavish attentions the actions of a monster? I know that Scarlet, Vashti, and Homer would have thought they'd been transported to some feline fairyland of flowing abundance and never-ending catnip 
if they'd gone to sleep one afternoon during the first half of their lives, and awaken to find themselves the sole concern of a devoted stay-at-home cat mom who served them an array of meals and tempting and exotic flavors at three precise intervals every day. When they were Clayton and Fanny's age, I don't think it would have even occurred to them that such an extravagance, the stuff of cat's daydreams, was possible. But Scarlett, Vashti, and Homer weren't raised to quite the same standards or expectations as Clayton and Fanny. They got one flavor of dry food and one flavor of moist food for pretty much their entire lives, which only changed once, when Vashti was around eight and developed food allergies, at which point we had to find her a new protein source. Scarlett and Homer ate Vashti's new hypoallergenic food right along with her, without even a whisper of a complaint, and I doubt very much that it would even have occurred to them that complaining might be warranted. In fairness to my current cats, though, my first-generation brood did have it easier in some ways. In the ignorant days of my youth, before I knew the health risks associated with a diet made up of primarily dry cat food, I had some down for the cats essentially all the time. Free grazing felines, who were able to eat whenever they felt like it regardless of what time it was, wouldn't have found the relatively minor difference of one hour's change forward or backward in their human schedule particularly earth-shattering. Earth-shattering seems like the right expression here, because what Clayton and Fanny do to the kitchen every year during the first two weeks of November, ends up looking like the aftermath of an earthquake. I'll head downstairs at five in the morning, which my cats now believe is the unreasonably late hour of six, or at one in the afternoon to find that, in the unbearable agony of having to wait one whole hour longer for a meal than they think they should have to, my two little miscreants have dumped over their water bowl, knocked their flat food dishes, thoughtfully purchased by me to ensure they're never subjected to the quote-unquote whisker fatigue that a deeper bowl might inflict under the refrigerator, pulled my row of cookbooks down from their shelf above the counter, thrown tchotchkes and tissue boxes and my recipe folder off of the kitchen island, tossed the newspapers we've put aside for recycling all over the floor, spilled out the containers we keep our coffee and pasta in, clawed the roll of paper towels to shreds, and engaged in various other acts of feline vandalism, both large and small. What? Their defiant gazes demand when I finally do make it to the kitchen. If you weren't so cruel to us, we wouldn't have to resort to this. So there I am, before the sun has even come up, faced with at least a half hour's worth of sponging and mopping and tidying up, and with no greater reward for my efforts than having my two adorable, fuzzy little troublemakers creep into my lap, once their bellies are finally full and satisfied, for a round of cuddles and scritches before they drift off into the day's first purring, contented nap. It seems like a lot of drama over a mere one-hour discrepancy. And that's just what happens in the kitchen. If it's lunchtime and I'm working at my desk, teeth gritted as I silently repeat my mantra of, I will not give in. I will not give in. They'll send my printed-out manuscripts on the desk next to me, skittering merrily into the air, walk across my computer keyboard, nip at my hips and legs, all the while sending up a chorus of alternately pissed-off and plaintive cries. Or if it's evening and I'm watching TV or reading a book, they'll stand in front of the TV screen, attempt to swat the book from my hands, all while raising such a ruckus of cries and cajolings that it's amazing the neighbors have never complained. Fanny's meows take on a decidedly confrontational edge, shakus, while Clayton opts for pathos. 
Don't you love us anymore, Mom? His sad, sad string of mews, eventually fading in volume as the weakness of starvation, because of an hour, one hour, begins to set in. Why don't you love us anymore? I love my cats. I do. I love them like crazy. And I would do anything in the world for them. Surely, surely, you, my readers, can see that. But I won't knuckle under on this one. I won't do it. I won't give them lunch at noon or start getting up at 4 a.m. to feed them breakfast. Because where would it end? This year's 4 a.m. would become next year's 3 a.m. once the clocks go back again. And then the following year's 2 a.m. Eventually, I'd be getting up to feed them breakfast literally before I'd gone to bed the night before. The madness has to stop somewhere. Somebody has to hold the line to keep our lives from descending into the chaos that would reign if my two little would-be dictators had their druthers. And if these are the actions of an ogre, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, then what can I say? Condemn me if you must and hang me high. And uh, yeah, that, that's where we will leave off. It is not the end of that story slash essay, uh, but but that is where we're going to stop for now. And hopefully you have enjoyed hearing me read that, even if it is in my first thing in the morning voice. I'm, I'm usually in better voice later on in the day, but again, it's it's just a risk I don't want to run um, because it keeps <laughs> for the last couple of days not working out. So before wrapping it up today, by the way, I do want to, you know, next week we're going to get back to to name checking all of my, the, the members of my Patreon community who I just really have been having such a great time hanging out with for the last few months and doing video chats and the bonus podcast and sharing pictures of Homer that have never been published any place anywhere um, and giving the backstories and little glimpses into our personal lives uh, that are not usually shared with the public. So that has all been a lot of fun. And I would like to welcome three new members of my Patreon community, Gina Woods Norris, Giselle Baxter, and Allison Stan. Thank you so much uh, to the three of you and to everybody who supports what I do on Patreon. And again, it is because of the support of my Patreon community that I am able to write books and to produce this podcast independently of both traditional publishers and any corporate sponsors. And so thank you for that. And on that note, we are going to wrap it up for today um, because I, I'm not kidding when I say I, I think I hear them starting up outside. So hopefully when I come back next week, my cats will have settled a little bit more easily into um, in, into the new schedule, into the falling back of everything. I will, of course, keep you updated as events unfold. So I say goodbye for now and hope to see you next week on another all new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.